Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Would you believe tonight with us that he is the I am over your children? Come on, let's praise him. Oh, mighty God. Hallelujah. He's working in the midst of us right now. The Holy Ghost is coming upon us in a very mighty, obvious way. Amen. All we have to do is touch him as he is willing to touch us. Hallelujah. Come on, let's lift our hands to him one time. Would you do that? Oh, Savior, all over this house, oh God. We are people that stand in great need of you, Lord. We stand in great need of your direction in our life, oh God. Of your strength for healing, for blessing. For salvation, we stand in need of it this evening. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to God. He is indeed the I am. He was to Moses and he is to us. Amen. I feel the wonderful presence of the Lord. You know, your neighbors need what you have tonight. Your lost family need what you have this evening. This community needs what you have tonight. Hallelujah. What great responsibility is on all of us to maintain this wonderful atmosphere that we feel. Amen. I know that through the years that you have been in services where the Holy Ghost has moved, but tonight I believe that he is so evident among us, amen, that while some might not know exactly what is going on, I believe that there are some veterans among us tonight that recognize when the Spirit of the Lord moves just like he's moving. Amen. I feel the wonderful, wonderful, precious Spirit of God, that great Shekinah glory of the Lord. I feel like preaching to you this evening. There are preachers that have the ability, evangelists, that can just take a service like this and and somehow usher you into a mighty, mighty moving of the Holy Ghost. I don't know how it could get any more intense than this, but all I have is the Word. All I have is this holy writ tonight to share with you. I want to begin my reading in the book of Judges, chapter 2. My reading will begin tonight at the end of my story. I have wrestled all this afternoon, even earlier this morning, uh, trying to find where to begin with this story. And uh, just a few minutes ago, I just felt like that we should begin where I'm going to end up. Is that all right? I, I hope it is. 
Let me read to you from Judges chapter 2. Again, I cannot express to the Boyds how much I appreciate uh, their confidence in my ministry and bringing me here in their ministry. I have concluded this, that your pastor is not just a man of God. He is a gentleman of God. Amen. And I am so privileged to call him my friend. My life is better. My ministry is better by having men like this in my life. I am so thankful for that. I've always felt like that we have been friends, but the last few days it just seems like a special knitting of the Lord between the souls. And I, I, will, I will forever be indebted, amen, to your pastor. Thank you, Brother Boyd. The book of Judges, chapter 2, verse number 20, the Bible said, The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, Because that this people had transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened unto my voice, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died that through them I may prove Israel whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily, neither delivered he them into the hand of Joshua. Savior, thank you tonight for your word, for this people, for the spirit of worship that we have sought from you, that you would pour upon us, that has been so evident this evening. God, I believe that this praise and this worship and this adoration to you has made the hearts of this people fertile ground for this word. I'm asking you, God, that you would give us understanding and direction. God, grant your servant anointing yet again tonight as we stand as debtors unto Christ. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. amen. You can be seated. God bless you so, so very much. I want to use for subject tonight something that occurred to me uh, not too long ago in a little coffee shop close to where I live from an old gentleman that had retired from the military and then from law enforcement I want to use for a subject about the story of an old soldier. The story of an old soldier. Freedom, of course, you know, was not free. If there were veterans in the house tonight, my hat is off to you. We applaud you. We commend you. We stand in great appreciation for you. But it's not over with you. It's not over with you. You weren't able to take care of all that what needed taken care of. You weren't able to provide the safety that America still needs. You weren't able to give to our children security that seems to be so fleeting from us. Though you gave your all, though your comrades seem to have given even the more dying, taking bullets from the enemy on the battlefield. And yet, in all of their ultimate sacrifice, there's still so much left to do. The story tonight will begin in the book of Genesis. And uh, I will quickly lay the foundation so that uh, we can get to where I want to go. But the foundation will be a little more than usual. So just bear with me, if you will. 
In the book of Genesis chapter 15, the Bible said in verse 18, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying unto thy seed, I have given this land, and from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephraims, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites, I'll give you their land. Remember those names, if you will. They're going to come up again in just a moment. But God had begun to lay to them a covenant, and he made that with Abram, even before his name became Abraham, the father of many nations. Even before his name was changed, there was a covenant from God that was made with Abram. And he said that I'll give you the land where your feet trod. If you will but go, that land will belong to you. And as a matter of fact, God began to give to him a layout, a description, a boundary, if you will, of where this land was going to be. And began to name off the people who would occupy the land currently. But then time to come. I will give you that land. That land will belong to you. And in reading that, we would think the way that we would think today probably, we, would might, we might entertain that even Abram would think that maybe in the next day or two that I can sign a pack agreement with all of these nations and they'll just hand their land over to me. But it didn't happen like that that you might think that Abraham was entertaining the idea because God said it, that it was going to come to fruition in the next month or two months or within the end of the year, but it didn't happen like that. As a matter of fact, it was a very long, drawn-out process that God began to establish the land that he had made in a covenant with Abraham. You'll find that Abraham's offspring, the son Isaac, was told by the Lord, that when the famine came, he said, don't leave the land that I promised to your fathers. That when hardship comes, don't leave the land that I gave to Abraham. It's yours just like it was his. As a matter of fact, God said to Isaac, don't go down to Egypt because this is the land that I promised to you. And then as Isaac passed off the scene and Jacob comes on the scene again, it is reiterated, the promise was that this land is your land. And began to lay out the boundaries yet again and said it was to Abraham, the covenant was to Isaac, and the covenant to you, Jacob, is the same, that this is the land that I have promised to you. Stay in this land. You all know how the story unfolds. We spoke about it the other night of how Jacob's sons, Joseph, ended up in Egypt and to uh, preserve a posterity unto Jacob, he brought them all into the land of Egypt because of the dream, the prophetic dream that God had given to Joseph saying that the famine will come. After seven years of plenty, there will be seven years of want and lack. And famine. And so you need to prepare and lay up during the seven years that are good years and plenteous years because the years will come when you won't be having a harvest every fall. And it was in those days that his brothers came to him unwittingly knowing their brother and simply offering to buy corn from Egypt because rumor had it that there was bread in Egypt. 
and sent there by their father Jacob to barter with them and say, I'll buy of you corn and bring it back home so that your brethren can live. And we know that eventually uh, Joseph's father Jacob and all of his other brethren, 72 of them ended up there. And because of the favor that God had given uh, Joseph to the eyes of Pharaoh, he said, I will allow your father and your father's sons to enjoy the good of Egypt and I will give to them the land of Goshen. And for the next 400 years they stayed in Egypt. But God was determined to get them out. Since he took them there, he was determined to get them out of there. And there it was that upon the death of Jacob, that Jacob says to his sons, that when you leave here and when God brings you out of this land, you make sure that my bones don't stay here because God has promised to us he promised it to my father Isaac and he promised it to his father Abraham and this land is not ours it will come a day when God will take you out of here and while it seemed hopeless to the multitude of Israel it was not hopeless to Jacob on his dying day he said make a promise to me that my bones don't stay here And here we are thousands of years later. We're still preaching and reminding men about the promise that God had given to Abraham. From generation to generation to generation. Oh, hallelujah. I'm having to slow my mind down. It's going too fast. I'm trying to get way ahead of myself. So now we find the great exodus coming out of Egypt. And because of their murmuring and because of their lack, or at least by the multitude of the spies to spy out the land that God had promised in the land of Canaan, you remember in my reading in Genesis 15 just a few minutes ago that the Canaanites were part of the land that God was going to give to the lineage of Abraham, which happened to be the place that Moses said, take you 12 men and go see if this land really is prosperous the way God said it was. 12 of them come back, 10 of them have bad reports, only two of them say that we can do it, we can make it. And so for their murmuring and for the evil report that they brought back, God said that they would spend the next 40 years, a day, a year rather, for every day that they spent spying out the land. And for now that they had just uh, seemingly fresh out of Egypt and out from under Egyptian bondage and now going right back into wandering for the next four decades, it just seemed like the cycle would never end. And so now God begins to raise up a deliverer. And now as the children of Israel, because they were being ruled by Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph and that didn't care about Joseph and didn't care about his brethren or his father's sons and had put them in slavery. And now because of their cry, God heard them and rose up a man by the name of Moses and said, as the song implied here this evening, to tell Abraham, I am, and I am says to let my people go. 
Let them go. Let them get out of this land. This land doesn't belong to them. I sent them here only to sustain them. But this is not where their home is going to be. Their home will be in the land that I promised to their forefather Abraham. And now Moses is on an endeavor. And now he hears from the Lord himself saying that I will give to you the land that I promised to Abraham. My friend, it didn't come easy. It didn't come with just merely looking over his shoulder and with a gesture of his right hand say, come on, let's go to the land that flows with milk and honey. It was a land that required possession. It was a promise that required pursuit. It was not something that merely fell into their lap. It didn't come easy. You're not here tonight because it came easy for your forefathers. You're not here. I know it's so cliche. I know it's something we've heard a thousand times. If you serve God any amount of time, you've heard preachers like myself put, uh, put reverence and veneration upon that generation of yesteryear and their endeavoring and enduring the heat of the day so that you and I can stand here with our hand out at the hour of payment and remuneration and say with those that have borne the heat of the day, my pay is supposed to be the same. My friend, there's something to be said about a generation of men who preached it when the times weren't popular, who preached it when the times were difficult, who declared the truth of God when the enemy says it was easier for you to give up. The Bible tells us in the book of Deuteronomy, here it was, I know it seems like a very shallow, superficial verse, but to somehow place a point, a pivot for what I'm going to say tonight. In the book of Deuteronomy, the Bible said in the closing verses, and Moses was 120 years old when he died, and his eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. If he had so much strength left in him, why did he have to give it up right now? If being 120 years old and he could still read the daily newspaper, if you will, why is it that you couldn't have a vision to take the children of Israel? Oh, I, I don't know how you feel about it tonight, but maybe, maybe God wanted to raise up a Joshua because I want to take my people into a land and I want to use a leader that has been where I want to take them. And so off the scene with Moses and opens the book of Joshua and says in verse 1 of chapter 1, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, thou and all this people into the land which I do give them even unto the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. It would have been easy for Joshua to say, if you're going to give it to me, why is it that you didn't give it to Moses? And if you didn't give it to Moses, why is it you didn't give it to Isaac? Why is it you didn't give it to Abraham? And here we are four or five generations down the road. Why should I believe the promise that you're going to give to me a land that you didn't give to the man you started out with? 
It is no wonder when we preach the coming of Christ and the end of the age and the coming of our Messiah for the second time. Why is it, brother boy, that men now will say what they prophesied they will say in the writings of the New Testament that the Bible said, and in the last times there shall come scoffers saying, where is the promise of his coming? For all things remain as they were since the days of our fathers. I know we're living in a very religious world, the Western civilization. I know that we live among reprobates and self-proclaimed atheists. I know that. But by and large, we are living in an age where church is popular, where buildings are bigger, where preachers are more popular. Hear me today. We are living in an age where scriptural revelation seems to run rampant. And we as preachers seem to be more challenged to find something fresh to preach to the people of God, lest we leave them in competition with the church across town. Oh, but in their hearts, by the way that they are living, it tells me and it tells God that they are scoffing at what we are saying, that the hour is truly upon us when the this dispensation will take place, that the trump will sound and the skies will unfold like a scroll and that new Jerusalem will descend and God will call the redeemed from this planet. Why is it we preach that God said prophetically that one angel will put a foot on earth and one on the sea and will declare time be no longer, that we're laughed at and we mocked at and by the life that they're living they can live like a reprobate according to the Bible and yet proclaim Christianity in their heart. But God said bitter water and sweet water will never come forth from the same fountain. You won't find figs growing among the brambles. It seems to tell me that our lifestyle are telling us and validating and giving credence to what we profess with our tongue. You didn't give it to Abraham. You didn't give it to Isaac. You didn't give it to Jacob. You took him off and let him die in Egypt and took four centuries to get his people out of there. And now you didn't give it to Moses. And here's a Jacob that grew up in the shadow of a man that spoke face to face with God. And if God, if you can't give it to him, what makes me think you're going to give it to me? Promise, I told you the promise didn't come in a week or two, in a month or two. It didn't come in a year or two. It was something that generations had to hold on to. It was something that generations had to embrace and believe like Abraham believed it. Like the New Testament writer would say that he staggered not, Abraham staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in the faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. It takes that kind of confidence to hand down to an Isaac that when famine comes on the land, God had to remind him, stay here. You stay right here where I promised you would live. (laughs) Oh, God help us. God help us. So Joshua steps in on the scene. And you would think after so long a time that God had refrained from giving the promise to the lineage of Abraham that surely now he would give it to Joshua. That he would give it to a man who finally put foot 
in the land that God had promised. Was there ever a man before him that could stand and say and give testimony, I have been there and I have witnessed it. Was there ever a man before Joshua who could testify of the grapes that would require two men to carry a cluster of? But Joshua said, I can. He found a new confidence in himself. He found something that possibly Moses didn't have. He found something that more than likely Jacob didn't have. He was merely hanging on to what his daddy said, but not Joshua. (laughs) He probably found something that Isaac didn't have. He had a testimony that his eyes had seen. That I have been witness of the promise of God. My friend, when the promise is that close, I don't believe nothing in hell can stop a man from acquiring that. It was, it was something that fueled his spirit that said it didn't matter what came and it didn't matter what it required. I am determined to go. You want to know why these elders are still hanging on? It's because somewhere in their youth, God had caught them up in the spirit of God and shown them something that was undeniable and said nothing but nobody can change my mind about hearing God say well done. I'm determined to see it through. Not just because mama said so. Not just because I heard daddy preach. Not just because I slept under the pew as a child. But because I saw something in the New Testament that made me know this was real. Oh God. Now here Joshua begins. And again, as it was with Moses, it will not be with him. Joshua cannot, as Moses could not, simply look over his shoulder and gesture to the people behind him, to the multitude, the millions behind him, to the masses of people that were so hungry for more than garlic and leeks. The people that were so hungry for more than the bondage and slavery that he'd given to them. My friend, it is with us today if God will make us to become fishers of men. It won't be as easy as that to just simply go uptown and say, follow me Sunday to an altar and God will baptize you with the Holy Ghost. It's not that easy. It's going to be a battle in front of you and there's going to be a battle in front of them. <laughs> Joshua began his campaign with war. Chapter 1, it starts out with sending spies into the land all over again. You go to Jericho and you see if the city is able to be conquered. It began with a campaign, a covert mission, if you will, a military strategy to make sure that we can take what God has promised to us. We won't just cash in. We won't just say that we're giving up before we ever started. Let's get some men together because I've been there. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. Guys, we've got something great ahead of us. Now I want you to go lay out a strategy for us to overcome Jericho. It didn't stop there. Campaign after campaign, war after war, we get done with the Canaanites, we go to the Jebusites. 
We get done with the Jebusites. We go to the Girgashites. We get done with the Girgashites. And it's over and over and over and over. We get to the middle of the book of Joshua. And I don't want to bore you with this tonight, but i got to read it to you. In Joshua chapter 12, verse number 7, the Bible said, These are the kings of the country which Joshua and the children of Israel smote on this side Jordan on the west from Baal in the valley of Lebanon even unto the Mount Halak going up to Seir which Joshua gave unto the tribes of Israel for a possession according to their divisions in the mountains and in the valleys in the plains and in the springs and in the wilderness and in the south country the Havites the Amorites the Canaanites the Perizzites the Havites the Jebusites you remember I told you these names would come up again these are the places that God promised Abram in Genesis chapter 15. And the king of Jericho won. He overcome him. And the king of Ai, which was beside Bethel. And the king of Jerusalem. And the king of Jarmuth. Verse after verse after verse until verse number 24 says, And all the kings, 30 and 1. 31 kings Joshua and his military had to overcome. It wasn't easy just because God promised it to our daddy. It didn't fall in our altar just because Scott said to a generation yesteryear that the latter rain would be greater than the former. It was a fight in prayer. It was a campaign of spiritual war. It was over and over and over. You gotta keep preaching and you gotta keep praying and you gotta keep witnessing and you gotta keep pleading and you gotta keep weeping before God because it's not over. The very next verse, chapter 13 says in verse 1, and Joshua was old. Everybody say he got old. (laughs) And was stricken in years. And the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years. And there remaineth yet (laughs) very much land to be possessed. (laughs) It's not over with. It's not over. Well, God, I I fought 31 kings and we overcame them. But there's so much more to do. It's not over. Jesus hung there on Calvary. And he looked down upon the people that crucified him and put him there. Willingly, with consent, mind you, that he was there on Calvary. And yet he says to them, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And when he hung his head, and was about to die and give up the ghost. He said, it's finished. And my question is, God, how can you say it's finished when all of these people are still lost? These people still don't have the revelation of who you are, that the Old Testament is still not uncovered to them. God, they still don't grasp the fact that you're the Messiah, that you're God robed in humanity. They still don't understand the fact that you're manifest in the flesh and justified in the spirit, and you're saying you're finished. He's handing a responsibility over to a group of men that were running for fear. The Bible said they all fled from him and forsook him. And as they fled, I am convinced that in his spirit he imparted unto them a job to do because it's not over. 31 kings and God says, you ain't got all that I promised to Abraham. 31 kings, nation after nation, 
country after country and it's not over until we get to the 24th chapter of the book of Joshua the closing words of Joshua as he calls in his dying day he calls all these men together to him and there the infamous speech went out from his lips he said if it seemed evil unto you to serve the Lord choose you this day whom you will serve whether it be the gods of your Amorite, the gods that your father served on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. The people stood up and said, We will serve him. God forbid that we should serve idols and forsake the living God. And Joshua says to them, you can't do it. You've been up and you've been down. You've been in and you've been out. You've been courageous today and coward tomorrow. You can't serve God. And they said, we can't serve God. And they signed a contract between Joshua and the people of Israel. Signed a contract. Put it in writing that we're going to serve God. And Joshua died. The book of Joshua ends. The book of Judges comes on. I told you I had a big foundation to lay. I'm going to preach to you in just a minute. The book of Judges opens two chapters, two chapters after they signed the agreement that we're going to serve God. Brings me to my scripture reading. The anger of the Lord was hot against them because that this people had transgressed my covenant and not and which I commanded their fathers and have not hearkened to my voice. And I would not thenceforth drive out any from before them in the nations which Joshua left when he died. Hear me. Of all that was left to do, Joshua left so much undone. There was so much undone. Two chapters after they said, we'll serve God, they backslid. And God was mad at them. And he said, because you have forsaken me, that I will not drive out any more of your enemies the way that I drove them out before Joshua. You're going to have to fight them. And the reason why is verse 22. That through them, through those enemies, I may prove Israel whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. And because of that, the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily. Neither delivered he them in the hand of Joshua. He didn't give them to Joshua and he didn't give them to the, to the succeeding generation after him. My friend, there is a reason tonight. Now just give me about 10 minutes or so. Let me preach. There is a reason why those forefathers, those men of old who preached to you, you elders here tonight, you heard stories of men and you witnessed great miracles wrought by their hands. And you stand in amazement today that we have been handed down such a legacy like that and yet this generation is more degenerate than it's ever been. How can those things be. It's because God says I'm not driving them all out. I'm going to save some of them for your children. I'm going to save some of them for your babies. They're going to grow up and they're not going to be born with a spiritual silver spoon in their mouth. They're going to have to fight like you fought. Like Abraham fought. Like Isaac fought. Like Jacob fought. Like Moses fought and like the campaign of Joshua fought. It's not going to come easy. It didn't come easy for them and it won't come easy for you. <laughs> oh man, 
Oh, man, looked across at me from the coffee shop table. And one morning, he brought a picture of him and a couple of his comrades in war standing in a battlefield somewhere on the Panama Canal, I guess protecting whatever interests America had there. And, and he said, there I was with a size 30 waist and 22-inch biceps holding some kind of gun that had all kinds of munitions on its strap. But that's not the man that I saw, Brother Boyd. That's not the man that I was drinking coffee with that morning. And I know in his spirit, if he could, he would don his military fatigues yet again. He would load his weapon one more time and he would tell his country, take me to the battlefield. But now his body can't do what his spirit is saying to do. And this is what painted a picture in my mind that the military of Joshua was sitting there with this generation of the book of Judges and saying, son, we couldn't run them all out, but it's worth fighting for. We couldn't get rid of all of the enemies. There's going to be some Hittites and some Perizzites and Girgashites there. And I wanted to drive them out for you, but I couldn't do it. Can I be real plain to us tonight? Can I do that? I just will tell you how I feel. I would to God that I could pray enough for my children that they never have to see another preacher fall to immorality. But I can't pray that much, Brother Gibson. I wish I could pray enough that my children would never be battled in their mind about leaving their spouse and divorcing one another that they've made a contract before God with. I wish I could pray enough, but I can't pray enough for that. I was in here this morning, and I wept before God. Today, my boy turned 13, and I thought, God, we've got the next several years to fight the most turbulent time in a young boy's life. God, I'm praying you put your hand on his heart. Put your hand on his mind. And let him know that his daddy is not in this for the fishes and the loaves. Let him know that his daddy is decidedly Pentecost and that he's not changing his mind. Let his daddy know that he believes in repentance and Jesus' name baptism and receiving the Holy Ghost. Let him know that, God. I can't pray enough that my children will have no battles. I can't fast enough that they'll never have to fast themselves. I can't preach enough that they'll never have to adhere and love preaching for themselves. They've got some things they got to fight. And the story of the old soldier was this. Son, it's worth it. Leaning on his staff in the 24th chapter of Joshua, he says to them, it's still worth it. I know I couldn't take all of what God promised to us. Get some grit about you. Get some fight about you because you're going to need it. Your enemy, the adversaries as a lion, a roaring lion walking to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. If he could bust your house, he's going to do it. If he could separate your marriage, he's going to do it. If he could put your children on crack, he's going to do it. If he's going to put you in the streets of ill repute, he's going to do it. He's going to do whatever he can. But let there be a generation who says that an old man told me it's worth fighting for. I've got to be. 
I've got to be able to recognize the Spirit of God when He comes in because He's there to help us and assist us and to speak to us when He says, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. In the book of Exodus chapter 33, the Bible tells us that Moses wanted to see this is the man that Joshua grew up in the shadow of that he wanted to see the glory of God. Show me your glory. To which God responded in verse 20. (laughs) One verse later he says, you can't see my face. I read this afresh this evening. You can't see my face. Let me tell you where this, can I just, can I just let me pause this for a minute. Let me tell you where this came from. Not too long ago, this is only the only time I've ever been asked to do this. I was asked to preach a service of uh, a pastoral transition uh, of what we call an installment service where a man uh, is handing a torch down to a succeeding generation. And I felt so humbled by that. As a matter of fact, I felt very out of place to do that. But I gave it my best. And in the middle of this, Brother Bobby, in the middle of preaching this message, the Holy Ghost spoke to me. And he told me what I'm about to tell you right now. And it's all come back to my mind again. He said, he said, this is what Moses did. He said, I want to see your glory, God. And God says to him, you can't see my face. And I thought, why is it in verse 20 God is saying to this man, you can't see my face? When in verse 11 of that chapter, the Bible said that God spoke to him face to face as a man would speak to his friend. But now just a few verses later, God says, you can't see my face. But when I pass by, (laughs) I'm going to set you on a place beside me. And I'm going to cover you with my hand. And I'm going to put you in the cliff of the rock. And when I come by you, I'll remove my hand. You can see my hinder parts as I go by. I thought, God, if you can't see your face, why is he going to show the hinder part? And this is what the Holy Ghost spoke to my spirit. That I already, as Moses, I already recognize God when he's coming. But what I need to learn is when God is walking away so that somebody can shake me and say, you better get a hold of God again because he just passed by you and he's taking his glory with you. It's easy to recognize God when he's coming. But when he hides us in the cleft, covers us with his hand, and somehow his glory is more obscure than ever and takes his hand off, he said, I want you to see my hinder parts. I want you to see the back of my head. I want you to see the back of my shoulders. And I want you to see my pace as I'm walking past you so that you can do whatever it takes to secure my presence among you again. My friend, let there be an old soldier in your life. Whether there's still breath in his body or there's something in the spirit of his voice from yesteryear that is ringing and resounding in your heart, it's still worth living. I'm closing. It's It's still worth playing these songs of Zion. Choir practice is still worth it. Prayer meetings are still worth it.
Preaching with a fervor like you're never going to preach again is still worth it. Praying until you lament before God is still worth it. Because those elders passed away. And God says to them, old and stricken in years, but yet there's much land to be possessed. There's still a lot of enemy left. There's still a lot of revivals that haven't been preached, Brother Boyd. There's still a a lot of count meetings that we haven't had. There's still a lot of Sunday services that aren't even on the calendar yet. You've got to keep fighting. Friend, you haven't fought all the devils you're going to fight. I wish that I could fight them all for my children. Lord knows I would. But I can't do it. I can't do it. I wish they never had to see another family out of the church backslide. But it's a good chance my boy's going to see that. I wish my daughter never had to be tempted with the allurements of the teenage years. But it's a good chance she's got a fight ahead of her. God, I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. Does that mean we stop praying for our children? Absolutely not. Show them how to pray. If you can't do their praying for them, show them how they can do it for themselves. If you can't do the faithfulness to the house of God for them, you come to the house of God with children in tow and you put it in their heart, the necessity of coming into the assembly of the Lord. God, in some way help us to help the succeeding generation. The Bible is replete with with the emphasis upon passing the truths of God and the knowledge of God to a generation after this one. Even the mystery, even the mystery of God that was hid from the generations and from the ages, but is now made known unto you to whom God has made manifest what is the riches of the glory of the mystery of his kingdom unto the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It was a mystery to them. But he said to you, you can reveal it to this generation. Paul gets to his last day. After 195 stripes on his back, he gets to his last day and he says to Timothy, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course and I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness in which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day. And not to me only, but to all them also who love his appearing. I have fought a good fight. If he had nothing else to say, he could say, I fought a good fight, Timothy. I've waged a good war in the spirit. I preached truth every opportunity I had. But now it looks like I'm about to lose my head. But you pick up the sword. 
you pick up his word and you pick up his truth because there's a generation after you that needs to hear what I'm telling you. It's a noble fight. It's a worthy fight. Fight you will. I've told this many times, Pastor. When I pastored, I I loved home Bible studies. I gave one to a little lady called Miss Larson. Miss Larson was a very aged lady. And her accent was notably different than ours. And I had to ask, I said, Miss Larson, can you tell me where you're from? She said, Honey, I'm from England. I said, can you tell me what England was like? She said, son, I was there in the square that day as a little girl, and I heard Winston Churchill give that speech. And he said, people of England, I've got nothing to promise you but blood, sweat, and tears. He said, we've got an enemy but we'll fight them in the land. We will fight them in the sea. We will fight them in the air. But we shall never, never give up. I reached across the table and I grabbed her hand. And how connected I was to a generation of yesteryear. Jude put his pen to the parchment like so many men of the New Testament that risked their life. And he said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, I felt it needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend. Everybody say contend. Fight for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. He said it was needful that I remind you This won't come easy. This won't come easy. It's no time to give up. This is, in fact, the 11th hour. If I were a backslider and I read the current events of the day, the news and the goings-on, it would take an army of men to keep me out of this altar tonight. Knowing what you know, and hearing what you've heard through your years. (laughs) The prophet said the summer is over and the harvest is ended and they're still not saved. Brother Boyd, what more do they want to see? What more do they want to hear? What more do they want to witness? There's a generation of men who are whispering in our ears tonight, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. There's so much left to do. Brother Boyd, you're not going to finish it all. You're not going to preach all that needs preaching. This church is not going to host all the revivals for the community that needs to be. As a matter of fact, Jesus said when that trump finally sounds that there shall be two in the field and one taken and one left. 
the job was left unfinished. We've got more missionaries than we've ever had. More reports of people receiving the Holy Ghost than it's ever been before. But yet I feel safely to say tonight that of the six billion people on this planet, all of them won't get saved. But it's still worth it. It's still worth it. Would you stand with me? This revival is for you tonight. Because the last revival wasn't enough. This one is for you. Don't let the cares of this life distract you from what I'm saying. Don't let the cares of your tomorrows and your Mondays and your next weeks and next month encumber you so much. The cares of life can choke out what I'm saying tonight if you permit it. Sir, this revival is for you. This service tonight is for you. Because the last one wasn't enough. Hallelujah. I don't know how to end this tonight. I just feel like God is pulling for someone. I really do. I really, really feel that. That God is pulling for someone tonight. As the church family is coming, I... I know this is not out of routine for you all. This is not unfamiliar ground to have altar service. But I'm making this as easy as I can. As easy as I can make it. But you've got to turn it loose and bring it to God. You've got to bring it to God. God is still worth it. God, let it sink down deep into the hearts of this people. What the words of this humble preacher has said, it's still worth it. Oh, God. Oh, God, help us. God, give us new strength tonight. Impart unto us a vision, God, that a zeal will be on fire in our spirit that nothing can extinguish. That the cares of life can't choke out. Hallelujah. Oh, God. Come on, Mom, your son is still worth it. Don't give up on him yet. That lost granddaughter is still worth your prayer. Don't cash in just yet. Don't throw in the towel just yet. That soul is still worth it. Hello and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. 
But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.